You're listening to the Fitness and Wellness Class, powered by NASM. NASM's new subscription service, NASM Connected, is the best value in fitness. When you sign up, you'll get access to everything you'll need to expand your career, master new disciplines, and stay up to date with your certification in one great package. Gain instant access to over 350 online fitness courses available anywhere, anytime, on any device. Earn CEUs for dozens of approved providers. Plus, unlock articles, webinars, videos, and podcasts from the biggest names in fitness. Don't wait. Sign up today and unlock the best content in fitness at the best price. Get connected at nasm.org connected or call one 800 460 6276. Hey, Optima 2020. My name is Dr. Eric Sorensen, and I'm so glad for you to join us here today. My session titled Upper Extremity Movement Impairments is really going to focus in on three of the most common movement impairments of the upper extremity. And I look forward to sharing a lot of information related to assessment, uh, understanding the underlying factors with these common movement impairments, and then also some corrective exercise strategies uh, that will allow you to address these um, common movement impairments of the upper extremity with your clients. Just a, just a brief introduction of myself. Uh, once again, my name is Eric Sorensen. Uh, just so pleased to be here today and have the opportunity uh, to present some content with you. A little bit about my background. So I did my bachelor's degree in athletic training at Point Loma Nazarene University. That's down in San Diego. And then from there, I transitioned up to the University of Oregon, where I did my master's and PhD in human physiology. And really, the bulk of my research and studies were related to movement screening and the ability of movement screens to identify and to predict injuries. And so that tailors in uh, really well with where we're at today with movement assessments of the upper extremity. Uh, and so really, my expertise is around movement screening and corrective exercise strategies. And I've had the great fortune actually just in the past year to work with NASM and to author their movement assessment chapters for both the new CES content as well as the upcoming CPT release that we're looking forward to here in the near future. So my goal is to unpack some of this new information for you and specifically focus on the upper extremity uh, with the idea that this content will be applicable and usable for you immediately in your work with clients. Now, the neat thing about movement assessment, as well as corrective exercise, is this really spans the gap between strength and conditioning and fitness populations all the way into injury prevention and management. And there's a big gray area in that space. You know, certainly we need to respect the medical professionals and what they do in the context of injury. But in the fitness world and the strength and conditioning world, this plays a big impact on how we instruct exercises and what exercises we're going to choose to give to somebody. And we really have the opportunity to build up uh, a nice bank of exercises that will help them address some of these common concerns. Specifically today, we'll focus on the upper extremity. So just to give you an overview of the session, we're going to focus on, again, the three most common movement impairments of the upper extremity. Uh, we're going to look at movement assessment options to identify those movement faults or movement impairments. Uh, and then we're going to explore what the underlying factors are for those impairments. Because if we have an understanding of the anatomy and the causative factors of these movement impairments, then we'll have the chance to design good corrective exercise strategies to address some of these common concerns. And so I look forward to walking you through this process and the way that I think about 
movement impairments and how they might impact your clients. Now you're gonna hear me moving uh, between a few common terms. Uh, so one is movement screen and movement assessment. Those are synonymous terms that we'll use together. Uh, and then also you'll hear me say movement impairment as well as movement fault. And those are gonna be uh, common terms as well. We just wanna be careful with our clients when we're talking about uh, movement impairments or even movement faults and that we, we, uh, we put them in a light of an opportunity for correction and an opportunity for improvement, but not necessarily uh, that this is a bad thing or speaks about them in any bigger way than the actual impairment itself. I think this is just a good way for us to encourage our clients. Uh, but you know what I've seen in my work, both in strength and conditioning, fitness and rehabilitation settings, is this really gives us a great opportunity to work with clients and to help develop them. And I think what we see is when clients uh, realize that we have this level of precision and we're invested in their holistic health. And a lot of this has to do with their movement quality uh, that a lot of times that that drives business opportunities and actually increases compliance with the programs that we give. You know, so some strength and conditioning experts and fitness professionals will really just try to get somebody to sweat and get a great workout in. And hey, I'm all about that, too. We need to get our clients moving. Uh, but the goal would be that we can also supplement that with some important corrective exercise strategies. Sometimes that comes as part of the warm-up uh, for a program, and then sometimes we actually put it into uh, various circuits, uh, so that way we get kind of an active recovery, but we're working to address some of these common issues. So, you know, it's really interesting for the for movement assessment, a lot of attention gets placed on the lower extremity, uh, and, and it should. You know, there's a lot of injuries and a lot of uh, issues for our clients. But when we think about the upper extremity, oftentimes it gets ignored and we don't put as much emphasis on it, but we should realize that our clients are oftentimes in bad postures for long periods of the day. You know, I just think about myself working at a computer, working at a workstation and the tendency to be collapsed with the forward head and forward shoulders, and that can span for hours. I'm sure you can relate with this in some way. But, you know, in one hand, when we get when we work with our clients, we're expecting them to get into some of these dynamic postures. Right. Or maybe with athletes who need to get into to really exposed postures. Uh, but my question, too, is how can we expect them to do that if for the rest of their day they're in a collapsed and inefficient posture? You know, so they're in this posture for, let's just say, eight to ten hours a day could be more. And then we get to work with them for an hour or two and we expect them to suddenly magically move out of these postures. And it's just not a realistic expectation. And for that reason, that's why we should start all of our movement assessments with a static postural assessment. And oftentimes this is done in standing. And what we're gonna look for is good alignment from the ear through the shoulder and through the hip, all the way down through the lateral malleolus of our ankle. And we should see great alignment with that and uh, one thing that I really like to do for this check-in, and maybe it's something you can try for yourself and then definitely use for your clients, is I love to back somebody up against a wall and I'll have them put their heels against the wall and then their butt against the wall and then their shoulders against the wall. And this is where it starts to become a reality of how collapsed they are. Within that, a lot of people will have their shoulders against the wall, but they'll be protracted and rounded. And so what I'll have them do is just open up and put the backs of their hands against the wall. And then lastly, a lot of times people are still kind of jutted out front with a forward head, and we're going to want them to bring their head back against the wall. And that's the reality check. When we ask them to get their shoulders against the wall with, uh, with their scapula retracted, with it pulled back towards their spine, and then to bring their chin back and get their head against the wall, uh, it's amazing how much tension this can create, 
uh, both in the shoulders and in the neck. And a lot of times this may be actually causing some pain for our clients, but it's just a good wake up call of where that ideal alignment is. The wall sets the standard for perfect vertical. And if we can get ourselves against the wall and then get into that alignment, the key is that we want to be able to step away from the wall and maintain this ideal posture. And what I usually will tell my clients, and I think this may be a tip that you can take today, is let's just work on your posture for 30 seconds, one time an hour. So every hour, uh, maybe even to create some kind of uh, external cue. So maybe they set their alarm for it to ding every hour. Uh, and certainly there's apps and things that can help us with this. But then just reset the posture and maintain it for 30 seconds. And what I find is just this, this helps to raise awareness about the individual's posture. And then hopefully over time, they'll maintain it naturally for even longer than that. So a standing assessment is a really great place to start. That wall assessment can be a great supplement to the standing assessment because sometimes our clients just won't realize how bad their posture is because they're living in their body every day. They don't realize the collapse. They don't realize that their shoulders are not in a great position. They don't realize that their chin's way out front. And that's because that's the posture that they may have been in for years and years. But what we're also seeing is that young kids are starting to get in these postures. A lot of it probably has to do with devices, but let's face it, it's studying, it's everything we do in front of us, long hours at school, and this draws us forward. And I've actually worked with clients who are 13, 14 years old. I get them in that wall assessment where they put all those points of contact and ask them to get their head back, and they literally can't get their head against the wall. And this has always been like really surprising to me because you would expect that 13, 14, no problem, you're gonna be moving fine. But oftentimes they try to get their head back and it's so restricted, you know, just the joints of their spine as well as all of the soft tissue and muscles have tightened up. And, and they actually, a lot of times would report discomfort or pain just trying to get back into a neutral posture. And so this is something that I just really believe in, especially working with kids as they develop. But a lot of times we'll be working with an older client and they've been in this posture for a really long time. So it's, it's going to take a gradual approach to correct just this static posture. So I really like the just the standings assessment that we'll do uh, through NASM. And then also that wall assessment can be a good one. And then the last thing that I would highly recommend is to do a seated assessment with your clients. You know, just get them in a comfortable chair and ask them to relax, see where their kind of natural posture is because of the amount of time they're gonna spend in a seated posture, I think it's important to address this and help them to understand how to get their posture corrected. And so just some quick tips, I mean, really just two quick tips for you related to posture. The first is for this side view, a lot of times we're gonna see that forward rolled shoulders, you know, the forward shoulder, forward head, we call it upper cross syndrome. And a lot of times it's right here. It's tough to correct the spine just by itself. So what I like to do is correct the shoulders first. And so what I'll see is a lot of people are gonna be internally rotated. We see that they're actually turned inward with their shoulders. Sometimes it's worse on one than the other, but a lot of times it's both sides or bilateral. And so the common just quick fix is gonna be a big external rotation. So you'll notice that my arms just turn the corner. So I'm not gonna come way out here to the side, although that can be a good exercise. I'm just gonna access to turn out and my palms right now are facing outward and I'm just gonna have them turn just like this. And then I want them to hold that. With that posture, what you'll see 
is that the scapula come together. The shoulder blades come together on the spine. We call that retraction. And so I get this rotation plus the scapula retracting back towards the spine. I can feel those muscles contract. And then what I want them to do is return their hands to neutral, but maintain the shoulder and scapular stability. So they're gonna maintain the stability of their shoulder complex while maintaining more of a natural posture. I mean, we can't ask people to be all military all day or really rotated, but we can say, hey, let's use that as a cue to get in the right spot. And then let's relax the hands, but keep the shoulders in the ideal posture. And what we see is that can just be a really nice, simple correction. And a lot of times what I see is when somebody corrects their shoulders, they also tend to correct their head and they tend to draw their head back and have a bit more of cervical extension to get into that neutral posture. They get out of the chin poke and kind of return to a better posture of the cervical spine. And so since controlling the head can be really challenging for our clients, I tend to just say, let's, let's correct the shoulder position or the shoulder posture, and that helps to organize the spine. It takes us out of this flexed spine, this kyphotic spine, that kind of hunched back, and it helps to stand us upright. It also helps to correct our head and neck and get us in a better posture. So uh, again, we do this big external rotation for a, a correction of the shoulders. Now, the other piece that I would recommend is also helping your clients anchor themselves on the floor. And then remember, this is for a seated posture. And so if we think about the, if this was my foot, I have one, two, three points of contact. So four foot on the inside and outside, and then back on my heel, one point in the middle. And what I want them to do is to have both feet on the ground and then also correct it so that it feels like their foot is floating. So no more pressure on the outside than the inside. You know, we don't want their foot turned out or rotated, but just get their feet kind of shoulder width apart, just like we would expect in a good squat. And then we want them balanced. So it should feel like their foot's floating. It's not uh, pressing on any part of the ground. So that means they may have to adjust their seat height uh, in order to get their feet anchored on the ground, but we're gonna avoid crossing the legs and doing other kinds of things. A lot of times, if we can just fix our foot posture in that seated position, again, it helps us to organize our knees and our hips and our pelvis and our low back and really helps to provide stability when we have the foot anchored in the ground. We know this from our squatting techniques and other kinds of exercises, but it can be a really good uh, point of focus for seated posture. So again, the foot posture goes oftentimes ignored uh, with a seated posture, but this can be a good add-on. So two quick fixes. Again, this is just for our static piece. We're gonna do the big rotation. We're gonna try to get our feet balanced and this should help to organize us into a better posture uh, for both our seated and standing postures. So it's definitely something for you to try out at home as well as to try with your clients. Uh, but this is maybe something we need to be spending a bit of time with our clients on Again, with the idea that if they're spending long hours in these standard, mostly seated postures, then we should probably address that in the context of our work with our clients. Again, most of the time we're going to be interested in movement patterns and movement strategies, but we shouldn't ignore the static contributions, especially those really poor postures held for long times. Uh, so it's something we probably should address with our clients. Okay, so once we do our static assessment, uh, we all know that the next most important uh, assessment that we're gonna do with the vast majority of our clients is the overhead squat assessment. So this overhead squat assessment is gonna to help to inform all of the other tests that we do. 
uh, and it helps us get a global understanding of how the uh, how the human system, how the human how human movement system is working, as well as helps us to understand alignment of all the body segments during a fairly challenging movement. And in this case, we're going to be really focusing on what are, what is the upper extremity doing during this overhead squat. You know, can the person get their upper extremity uh, symmetrically balanced above head? Uh, and then what does it do when they try to squat down? You know, a lot of times we're going to see just a poor setup from the beginning. We may see somebody who can't actually get fully flexed in their shoulders. So they may be kind of stuck here or asymmetrical, depending on their past history. And then they may collapse as we're coming down into that squat. And, uh, and that would help just inform us for the next steps of assessments that we're going to do with our clients. So the overhead squat assessment gives us a big picture understanding if whether or not there's uh, some issues going on in the upper extremity. Certainly we may identify other movement impairments down the chain, especially with the low back and lower extremity. Uh, but for the context of today's session, we're gonna focus on the upper extremity. Okay, so we have three main assessments that we're gonna use today uh, in order to identify the three most common movement impairments of the upper extremity. And the first one is our overhead dumbbell press. And so this is especially a good progression from the overhead squat because we're going to rely on that really good overhead posture. It's important that we cue this movement assessment or this exercise uh, appropriately. And so what I like to do is have people hold a dumbbell that's going to be challenging over five to 10 reps, but it's not going to fatigue them out. And we want them to press the dumbbells together overhead. That's going to be the key because a lot of clients don't know that we actually want the dumbbells to touch overhead, and then they may actually move into a faulty posture just because of the cue. So they may do something kind of coming out here, which is gonna put a lot of stress on the shoulders, but really what we're interested in is can they get up overhead, bring those dumbbells together and return back to that starting position. And we're gonna have a lot of insights from this uh, specific movement assessment. We're gonna see what the lumbar spine does, can it stay stable? We're going to see the mobility of the thoracic spine because we're going to need it to extend as we press overhead. But most, most importantly, we're going to be focusing on the shoulder complex itself to see if they're able to go directly overhead. And one of the common uh, movement impairments that we'll see specifically with this assessment, and we may also see it in the overhead squat, is that the arms fall forward. And so what we'll see here is they come up and they actually don't have the ability to get all the way overhead and instead their arms remain in that forward posture. It probably shows us that they don't have the range of motion to accomplish that movement. And that lack of range of motion can come from two uh, primary factors. So the overactive muscles uh, that we're gonna focus on right away are the latissimus dorsi. So we know the lat coming through here and attaching to the humerus. Uh, we're gonna have the pec major and pec minor and then we're gonna have the teres major, which is also a muscle right back here, but it attaches to the front part of the arm. I'm gonna show you some pictures of the anatomy so you can start to visualize how these muscles uh, originate and where they insert so we can understand why we uh, would employ certain corrective exercise techniques. I'm a big fan of understanding what the anatomy looks like. It helps me understand what I need to do to correct the problems. So those would be our overactive muscles and I'll show you the pictures of those muscles in just a moment. But we should also uh, consider the underactive muscles. Uh, so this would be our middle and lower trapezius muscle. Uh, it would be our posterior deltoid. 
So these are primarily going to be our scapular retractors, our posterior deltoid, and our infraspinatus, which helps us to externally rotate. Now, those may be underactive or weak, and we may need to address them from a strength standpoint. So for the purposes of organizing this talk, uh, for this movement assessment, we're going to focus on the overactive muscles. We're going to focus on the lats, the pecs, and teres major, and I'm going to give you some strategies for how to lengthen and to uh, inhibit those muscles so that we can get better range of motion. And then for the underactive muscles, I'm actually going to put them into the next movement impairment, so I'll give you some ideas how to address those in just a moment. So let's just get into some anatomy here. The overactive muscles, latissimus dorsi is one of my favorite muscles. We see it attached down to the pelvis, right down into the low back. It's an important stabilizer of the low back. You can see all that fascia that it connects to. That white tissue is the fascia. It can really help to stabilize the spine. But we really should see a large muscle mass right here on the posterior side of the back, right on the back here. And then the interesting thing is that it actually attaches on the anterior side of our humerus, on, on this part of our arm right here. And so it can really restrict our ability to go overhead. Even though it's a muscle in the back, it actually can restrict us in the ability to move that direction because that attachment is right here under my arm. So that's gonna be one that we're definitely gonna to wanna to work on. It's such a big, important muscle for us. Number one, this muscle should be strong, but we're also gonna to have to work on its mobility so that we can get it to lengthen properly and get into these overhead postures. Okay, the next muscle we'll look at is pec major. So this is obviously the dominant muscle of the anterior uh, part of the chest here. And I just wanted to show you it, especially in this overhead posture that you see on the slide. And you can see its big attachments to the humerus. So it actually attaches right next to uh, latissimus dorsi. And similarly, if we're tight in this muscle, it's really gonna restrict our ability to get up overhead. So having good length in the pec major is gonna be important. You know, we focus on strengthening this muscle a lot, obviously gets a lot of attention in our strength and conditioning programs, but we also need to be able to lengthen it so that we can get into these good postures up overhead. Okay, the next muscle is pec minor, and you see that attaching to the rib cage and then coming right up here into the scapula. And so this muscle, uh, works with pec major, but you'll notice that it attaches to the scapula and not to the humerus, but it can also restrict that up overhead movement. And then lastly, we'll look at teres major. And so this is a muscle that starts on the backside of our scapula, but it actually wraps around and it attaches to the front of our arm. And you can see that it comes in right next to latissimus dorsi. In the picture on the right, where you can see the ribs really clearly, the top muscle coming in is teres major, the one coming in from the bottom and attaching is latissimus dorsi. So they have attachments that are right next to one another. Again, really restricting that overhead posture. So these are the muscles that we would consider to be overactive when somebody's arms fall forward in the overhead squat or the overhead dumbbell press. And so what are we gonna do about it? We need to address it with a good corrective exercise program. And we're gonna focus on uh, inhibitory and lengthening techniques in order to get better mobility out of those muscles. So let me just show you a couple. So of course, our corrective exercise plan is gonna to be to foam roll. Uh, that's gonna be one of our main inhibitory techniques. So ideally, we would foam roll uh, pec major and pec minor. That would be an anterior roll. We're gonna get right into there, into the deep attachments right next to the pec uh, as it comes into the humerus. Uh, we may also choose to use a tennis ball 
uh, or some kind of other ball, uh, theraball, to be able to roll this muscle out. And this one can be a challenging one for females in some cases. So we'll have to just, you know, make good choices about whether or not this specific inhibitory technique is appropriate. Uh, but it can be a great addition uh, to our corrective exercise plan. And it could just be a great uh, piece to put into the warm up so that we start working on that lengthening right away. And then the follow up to the inhibitory technique would be lengthening techniques. And this is where we really like to use a wall stretch. And so we can do that with a flexed elbow or with a straight elbow. And then what we're going to do is just turn away from, from the wall. And this is going to really open us up through the shoulder girdle and give us the ability to work on that length. Now, some people will do this bilaterally and step through the door. That can be a good way to go. You also might be able to hold on to a dowel or some type of stick and bring it behind your head. That could be another way to really open you up here. I tend to like the long arm. And uh, in the picture, it shows the arm just kind of straight, straight to the side. Uh, but we can also change the angle and really work on different parts of, of the pec's attachment. Uh, and we can get a nice stretch by changing the position of our hand as we rotate away from that, from that position. So our corrective exercise for the pecs and the anterior musculature. Of course, we need to also address the posterior muscles, so latissimus dorsi and infraspinatus. And so we'll see here the, the rolling on the side, you know, the long arm, we're gonna come here down the side of the arm and down the back. And we really can roll all the way down to the pelvis uh, because of its attachments down here. You know, we probably should roll this whole way, but we tend to find a lot of the restrictions are right here near the armpit. And so working the latissimus dorsi on the roller in a sideline position can be really good. I also like to change the orientation of the hand when I'm doing that rotation. So if I'm rolling here, I'm gonna maybe go palm down for a little bit and then I'll go palm up for a little bit. Anytime I'm, I'm on the roller, I like to play with rotation is what I call it. Change the position so that we get that whole muscle uh, nice and worked on. And then one of my favorite foam rollers uh, for the rotator cuff as well as for the lat is to bring our hands behind our head here. And then we just get that roller right up in our armpit. And what we do here is rotate into the roller and away from the roller. And a lot of times we just see a lot of discomfort and tightness right on that rotator cuff, also right where the lat comes through. So that can be a really nice foam rolling technique. One that not a lot of people use, but uh, hey, I recommend that you try it at home because that's one that can really uh, free up the muscles of the posterior chain and really help us with our shoulder mobility. And then to follow that up, what we're gonna do is uh, we're gonna work on some stretching and specifically stretching the latissimus dorsi. Uh, we have two primary positions that we'll get into. Uh, one is just with our hands on the table and we kind of sit back into it. You'll notice that brings my, uh, brings my shoulders overhead essentially in this posture. So as I lean back, you'll notice my, my shoulders come up overhead, which can be basically um, working on that overhead posture. But then we can also get ourselves, uh, perhaps we just set up this here, we can get ourselves in a rack here, and then we can lean into it in a more dynamic position. So we can get ourselves in a split squat like you see in the picture, uh, and we can really work that posture you know, next to a squat rack or something that's a little bit more dynamic. So those are all gonna be great options for us uh, to address the overactive muscles uh, of the upper extremity, uh, specifically to address that arms fall forward issue. And again, this is just addressing the overactive muscles. I'll give you some strategies for addressing those underactive muscles in just a bit. So just to review, we're working on latissimus dorsi, pec major, pec minor, 
and infraspinatus for those overactive muscles for the fault or the movement impairment of arms fall forward. Okay, so let's go on to the next major assessment for the upper extremity, and we're going to focus on uh, standing row here, uh, specifically a standing cable row. And this is going to be a great assessment for us to look at the upper extremity and its ability to produce a pulling motion. Specifically, this is a horizontal pulling motion, and we're going to want to see especially what the posture of the upper extremity is at the end of the movement. And a lot of times, you know, I like to go palm down to palm in, so just a bit of rotation, but we really want to see what is the starting position of the shoulder? Again, a lot of times people are gonna be in that forward shoulder posture. So do they have the ability to pack their shoulder and get back into a good posture? And then when they come back into the end range, do they drive back into that forward shoulder or do they have the ability to retract and pack that shoulder into a great posture? So the one thing that I'll always think about is based upon where the pulley is, I want my forearm to be in line with that pulley and that directs my angle for the pull. So let me just pull down. Have my pulley set up here, the handle on it. And uh, I really like to get into a split stance, a narrow split stance, and my, my back heel is off the ground. Uh, I want my feet in good alignment, so not really spread out. A lot of people get in that posture for stability, but really we want to get them nice and narrow to challenge their balance and their ability to hold that position. So I have my right leg back when I'm rowing with my right arm. I like to start palm down and then come to palm in. And I really want to, I want to keep my chest and my trunk and my torso nice and square, and I want to pull straight back. And you'll notice that my forearm is right in alignment with the pulley. And we either want the pulley straight ahead or just slightly inclined upward for this assessment. If we're gonna work on the other upper extremity, the left side, then we would put our left foot back and we'd uh, do that pull with our left side. Okay, so this is our standing row assessment. And one of the things that we're really gonna see in this assessment is a tendency for scapular elevation. Uh, some people call this shoulder elevation, but technically this is a movement of the scapula. So I'll refer to it as scapular elevation. Let me demonstrate what that might look like. Uh, so along with the forward shoulder, we also see this tendency to use the upper trap. And as somebody pulls back, they tend to want to use that upper trap, causing their ear or their shoulder to come next to their ear. So instead of using the posterior muscles that help keep their shoulder down, the tendency is to come up towards the ear. And this is not gonna be an ideal muscle activation pattern, uh, specifically because it tends to overuse the upper trap, uh, which I'll explain the problems with that in just a bit. Okay, so that's our standing row assessment. Once again, I like to choose a weight on the pulley. My preference would be to use a weighted pulley, but certainly TheraTubing could work okay. I wanna use a weight that challenges the client for five to 10 reps. And we start to see some of those movement impairments often in that five to 10 rep sequence uh, as they start to fatigue just a bit. So we're not trying to overload them, but we do wanna see how they manage the load uh, that's somewhat challenging for them. Okay, so along with the standing row assessment, we can also have the individual turn around and do a standing press or push assessment. So the first one is a horizontal pull. Now we're gonna do a horizontal push. And this is gonna challenge uh, the musculature of the anterior chain whereas the pull challenges the musculature of the posterior chain. 
So in this assessment, a lot of times we'll end up in a split stance as well. And we have options for what we do with our police. Uh, some people will just do a single press. And the nice thing about that is it challenges our ability to stay, uh, to stay neutral with our trunk rotation uh, versus if we do a bilateral press, which you're seeing on the picture here, is that tends to help us stay stable because we have weight on both sides. So it just depends on what we're looking for. A more basic test is gonna be a two-arm press. A more challenging test is gonna be a one-arm press. And again, that's gonna expose the stability in our hips, our pelvis, and our trunk. For the purposes of today, I'm just gonna show you a one-arm press since I have one, one pulley set up. And so what we're gonna do here is we're gonna get into that split stance. And again, if I'm testing the left side, now I want the left side forward, or I'm sorry, the right leg forward if I'm testing uh, the left arm. And so I'm gonna get them into a split stance. Again, I've narrowed to challenge my stability, and it's just gonna be a straight press and movement towards the midline. And so returning under control, straight press and movement towards the midline. And so I wanna see the person uh, get into a stacked position of their trunk and neutral spine and be able to press without changing any posture of their spine. And we wanna see them just come straight through on the horizontal. Again, one of the common movement impairments here is this tendency to end up with the scapula elevated too high. And so that's something we're gonna to address today uh, specifically related to these two assessments. So next up, we're gonna look at that common movement impairment of scapular elevation. And you see it on the picture on the left there. It's the tendency to move the scapula up towards the ear. It brings our shoulder towards our ear. A common cue is just gonna be, hey, drop your shoulders, bring them away from your ear. And that's okay for static posture, but sometimes people have a really tough time doing that when we get them moving because their muscle activation tends to be upper trap dominant. And so, you know, just to be clear, I'm not opposed to somebody having big, strong upper traps. It looks good, it can, it can really help to stabilize the shoulder. But with that said, we also need to have well-developed lower and middle traps. And a lot of people are very weak and inactive in those areas, causing them to overuse their upper trap. It's actually a common uh, issue that we see even when somebody goes to grab something, maybe out of a cupboard or something above their head, their tendency is to lead with that scapular elevation and then they finish with the upper extremity instead of moving their upper extremity and finishing with the scapula. So sometimes there's a sequencing issue where that upper trap tends to be overactive. So for these two assessments, we're gonna look at the muscles that tend to be overactive and underactive, and then also some ideas for correcting them. So first off, let's look at the anatomy. We see that the trapezius muscle actually has three parts. So we have the upper, upper trapezius, uh, which is right above our shoulder. We have the middle trapezius, which comes across uh, from the scapula over to the spine. And then we have our lower trapezius, which actually comes up from the spine towards the scapula. And so the upper trap and the lower trap are actually muscles that work against one another. Uh, in some ways they can help to move the scapula together, but mostly they oppose each other with the upper trap tending to cause scapular elevation and the lower trap tending to bring our scapula down into depression into a better packed position. The lower trap tends to be very underactive for a lot of our clients, and it's one we definitely need to address. And then we'll, what we'll also see is the overactive muscles along with upper trap is also levator scapula, which comes back up into a little bit higher part of the spine 
and it's a little bit of a deeper muscle. So one that gets forgotten about levator scapula is a synergist or a helper muscle with that upper trap. We tend to just articulate the upper trap because it's easier, easier to show and it's a larger muscle, but levator scapula is also one that may be overactive. Now, the thing is when people end up in a pattern of excessive upper trap activation, which is really common, this, this you know, raised up shoulder close to the ears, is when somebody overuses their upper trap, what we see is the tendency for quite a bit of shoulder pain, neck pain, and maybe even tension headaches. And you can see on this slide that the tendency is to have some trigger points or some tight parts of the upper trap. And this can actually refer pain into the neck and into the head and create a lot of that tension headache symptoms uh, that a lot of people complain about. Again, this is commonly related to this movement impairment of scapular elevation. And so when I work with clients or maybe even friends who are dealing with some kind of neck and head pain, we see it with a lot of moms because they're holding their kids and they tend to be in this elevated posture is one thing that I'm going to work on is decreasing overactivity of the upper trap and getting that shoulder into a better posture by increasing the strength and activation of the lower trap. And those can be important patterns for help to help us avoid this common issue of the shoulder, neck, and even head. So in order to address tension in the upper trap, uh, it's difficult to foam roll this area, but it's really effective to use a tennis ball and to just go ahead and put that tennis ball along the whole surface of this upper trap. I like to do this in a standing position against the wall, which is shown in the picture. It can also be really effective to lay down on the ground, although that typically is gonna produce a lot more pressure and it may be something that only you can do in an advanced way or if somebody's already kind of got comfortable with that wall posture. Uh, the thing that can be a bit frustrating with using that ball against the wall is that it tends to fall on the ground over and over. So people get frustrated and stop doing it. So one thing you can do is just put it into a sock uh, or wrap tape around it and have a handle on it. So that way you could just throw it over the corner and have it right there, but have control over it with the sock. And then you can press into the wall. And what we're looking for uh, with this type of technique for in inhibition is we're gonna wanna hold a tender area. Sometimes that tenderness causes that referral into the neck and head. So we we'll wanna be careful, but this also can be a helpful technique and we're going to want to hold that for 30 to 90 seconds and really we want the person to relax into that exercise they're going to take some deep breaths and what we should see is over the course of 30 to 90 seconds and we need to be patient with it is that the tension in that upper trap should go down and a lot of times if there was that referred pain into the shoulder neck or head we'll experience that that pain starts to diminish which is really cool. It means that we're addressing a trigger point that is directly related to these symptoms. And so again, anytime somebody's in pain, we need to respect that we may need to refer them to a medical professional. But a lot of times people actually don't have the pain until they activate this muscle or until you press on it with that tennis ball. And in that case, it might actually uh, reproduce some of those symptoms. And that's the time that we can get a little work done and maybe even make a difference in those symptoms. So we call these trigger points. When somebody doesn't feel them during the day, uh, we call them latent trigger points, meaning they're kind of hidden. But as soon as we press on them, then that alleviates some of this uh, discomfort and it, can, and it can actually cause a really nice release in that muscle. So we're gonna want, wanna work on two or three different spots in the upper trap. You may also be familiar with like a Theracane 
uh, or a Q-Flex. There's different tools where you would hold a handle here that went up and over, and then you can angle it into the upper trap, and that's going to be a really great technique as well. So then next to that, what we're going to want to do is uh, maybe even move into some exercises where we activate the lower trap. So we're going to inhibit the upper trap, and then we're going to activate the lower trap. And the key is on this is we definitely want to change our angle of pull so that the pulley is coming downward. And this forces us down into the lower trap. So a lot of times we do our rows here just level in the horizontal. And the tendency in that row is to elevate the scapula. The nice thing is if we can come down here and we're pulling down, now we're pulling down into that lower trap and it really helps us to focus on that posture. The key is that we stop the movement when the range of motion is done. We don't wanna continue into this flexed posture or where our shoulders roll forward. We just wanna finish down in this packed position of the shoulder. So in this case, I'm gonna raise up my pulley. Now it's above my head here and I can get into either a low split stance or actually take a knee. And you'll notice that my forearm is in alignment with the pulley. And in this case, I'm gonna pull down and back. I'm gonna finish in that good posture. I feel the squeeze in my lower trap. My scapula comes together next to my spine and I'm gonna release it slowly and then boom, hold down and back. Get a big squeeze, release it slowly. And I'm also like to add a bit of that rotation in. So palm down to palm in, just a bit of rotation to make that motion a little bit more natural and controlled. But I really like this, uh, the single arm row and especially when we're pulling down and back uh, for this opportunity to activate the lower trap. We call this a single arm high row when we set that pulley up overhead. Now, certainly uh, my preference is to be in a half kneeling posture with one knee down, uh, but we could also do it in a split stance, uh, but we could also just do it in a symmetrical stance or even in a single limb stance if we're really trying to challenge the lower body uh, and the trunk. Uh, but I think the best way to do it is just to focus on the movements of the shoulder by getting in a half kneeling posture, which is pretty stable for the lower extremity and spine and allows us to really just focus on that focused activation of the lower trap. Now, of course, the goal would be to progress that to a standing single arm row. And again, we could do that in several different stances, but the goal would be to be able to progress this high row into a standard row so that the person learned that ideal posture and movement strategy and were able to do this row and keep the shoulder down in a good packed posture. So once we've improved the activation of lower trap, then we try to integrate it into other patterns and we can do that both into pressing and pulling patterns, trying to keep that shoulder away from the ear. That's gonna be our easiest cue. But again, we've gotta build uh, the length of our upper trap and the activation of our lower trap in order to achieve this new movement strategy. Okay, so that's our, uh, that's our standing row assessment and our standing push assessment, which helps us to work on activation of that lower trap. Just to remind you, we can also use those exercises to address underactive muscles for that arms fall forward issue. Uh, so we may also wanna use that rowing, uh, that high row exercise to activate the middle and lower traps, which may also be underactive for somebody whose arms fall forward. Okay, and our last assessment today is gonna be our push-up assessment. And again, we can do a single rep push-up uh, or we can progress it to five to 10 reps so that we can start to expose 
some of the movement faults in this pattern. Now, certainly we know that this is gonna challenge somebody in their lumbar spine and their pelvis to stay stable. So the hips sagging down is a common movement impairment that we'll see with this. But for today, we're gonna to focus on the scapular elevation that can happen with that. And we'll address it just like we talked about before uh, with those row and push assessments. Uh, but we're also gonna be looking for scapular winging. And this is when the medial border, the inside of the scapula pops away from the back. And it looks just like this when that occurs. Uh, so we may see that on one side or we may see it on both. And we're gonna pick that up using our push-up assessment. Now, if somebody's pretty stable and solid with the push-up assessment, we can progress it to a dynamic assessment where we do the Davies test. And this is where we're gonna put uh, two pieces of tape on the ground that are 36 inches apart. And we're gonna have the person go as fast as they can, tapping one hand to the other while maintaining that good push-up position. And a lot of times the challenge of getting as many touches in as possible really starts to challenge the stability uh, for your client and it may start to expose some additional movement impairments. So again, if somebody's really stable and proficient with the push-up, we may challenge them with the Davies test. Again, what we're gonna tell our clients is get as many touches as possible, but we need to be thinking about movement quality, not so much the performance of how many touches, but rather how do they accomplish that? And do they end up in that scapular elevation that we've addressed previously, or do they end up in that winged scapula posture that looks just like this? So if we see the scapular elevation, we know that we're gonna address the upper traps and lower traps, but if we see a winged scapula, scapular winging, uh, we see this with swimmers and a lot of people who can't stabilize their scapula, is we're gonna really wanna focus on an underactive serratus anterior. That's gonna be the key here. Uh, this muscle tends to be underactive, causing the scapula to move away. So let me show you that a picture of that muscle. This muscle is really interesting. It attaches to the ribs, and then it comes around the front of the scapula and actually grabs onto that medial border, the inside border of our scapula. And when it's nice and active, it tends to keep that part of the scapula you know, close to the back, uh, and it prevents the weaning. But when it's underactive, it releases that part of the scapula and we're gonna see the scapula move away from the trunk. That's not ideal. Uh, so we definitely wanna have some ideas for addressing an underactive serratus anterior. So one thing that we may do is actually get somebody back into that push-up posture. Uh, and what we can do here is just work on scapular push-ups or straight arm push-ups. And what we would look at here is just having them push forward into protraction and then lowering into retraction. So it's a really short arc push-up. We're not using the elbows at all, and instead we're just retracting and protracting the scapula. And specifically, the serratus anterior is a protractor. So if we can work on the strength of that muscle with that scapular push-up, it may really help to control the scapula. So for both the push-up assessment as well as for the scapular push-up, I really prefer to keep somebody in a, in a full push-up position. Uh, I don't like to regress them down to their knees because that really decreases the challenge of stabilizing the trunk. So if they're not able to hold this full on-ground push-up, then what we'll do is just change it to an incline push-up. And we could do that against the wall. Uh, the other thing I really like to do is put, it, put somebody in a squat rack 
and just lower that barbell down as they progress. So it may start them actually pretty vertical, just like we see here, but then ultimately we're gonna lower them down into uh, that push-up position as they get closer and closer to the ground, and then ultimately we'll progress to that full push-up posture. Uh, this continues to challenge their ability to stabilize the trunk and spine uh, while still maintaining that long lever of a push-up. I don't know about you, but I've just found that when I start somebody out on their knees, they rarely progress off of their knees. They tend to always do push-ups off the knees. So instead, let's get them into a long lever from toes all the way up to their hands, and then let's just change their decline until they're down into that full position. So these scapular push-ups can be great corrective exercise specifically to address that underactive serratus anterior. Now, the other thing that we can do is get ourselves back into our TRX or more of a hanging position. And this is just gonna help us, the tendencies to be kind of really protracted or extended with our shoulders. And what we're just gonna have the person do is just pull their shoulders down and back. We call that packing the shoulder. We talked about it earlier when we get into that big external rotation and then hold it. Well, this is gonna be now a more challenging environment because we're controlling our body weight. We're gonna have them pull down and back and just hold that posture as kind of more of a static exercise. It's a shoulder packing exercise and it works really well using a TRX or maybe even hanging from the barbell that's anchored in the rack. And so again, we're gonna cue them to keep their elbows extended and really to drive their shoulder down and back. Uh, and that's gonna help us control the shoulder as well as control the scapula and really put us in a position of ideal posture. And so when we're talking about posture now, we're kind of have come the full circle back to the ideal upper extremity posture uh, because our static posture is gonna really inform our ability to move. And then our ability to move and build strength is therefore also gonna help our static postures. And so when we talk about posture and we talk about exercises and muscle balance, I really wanna just uh, introduce an idea of balance within our exercise programming in a way that helps us get into some of these ideal postures of the shoulder. So the simple way that I think about it is we're gonna work on presses and pulls, presses and pulls. And so we have our horizontal push and our horizontal pull we have our vertical push and our vertical pull. And what I like to do in the context of my programming is to always make sure I have one push and one pull. Now, a lot of times I'll have a horizontal push and a vertical pull, or I'll have a vertical push and a horizontal pull. And I like to sequence these in my workouts and make sure that I always have a balance of the pushes and pulls. The tendency for a lot of us is to be very push dominant. And this is where we build a lot of strength as well as we see a lot of that musculature on the front of our body. But what we do is we fail to actually strengthen and actually get into a good posture with those pulling exercises, both vertical and horizontal pulls. So today's uh, course is not on those exercises, but hopefully this just gives you an idea of how to maybe program your exercises with a balance of pushes and pulls in the two directions in a way that would help your client build symmetrical strength around their shoulder, symmetrical strength around their trunk in order to have the ability to move better, but also to maintain a better posture. 
And what I see here and what we've emphasized today is a lot of strengthening uh, of the posterior musculature, our lower and middle trap, our muscles that I talk about over and over again. And to be honest, I almost just refer it to the, low, to the lower trap uh, because that helps really emphasize that getting the shoulders down and back. As soon as we start talking about the rhomboids or middle trap, that might actually bring somebody back into their upper trap. And so I like to contrast the upper trap from the lower trap in a way that really helps somebody focus on that shoulder down and back posture. So hopefully some ideas about your exercise programming that might advance you from the corrective exercise ideas and really help you to build that symmetrical strength for your client. Okay, so let's just do a quick review uh, to make sure that we hit all the key components. Uh, today we talked about the three most common movement impairments of the upper extremity. We talked about arms fall forward, uh, the inability to get into a fully overhead posture. Uh, and what we see there is commonly that's referred, uh, referring to uh, or related to an overactive latissimus dorsi, pec major, pec minor, or teres major. Those are muscles that we need to inhibit and lengthen in order to have the ability to get up overhead. Just the same, we want to focus on the strength of our external rotators, the infraspinatus, as well as the infraspinatus, I'm sorry, infraspinatus for the rotation, as well as lower trap uh, for the scapular position. And those muscles are also going to help us get up overhead. So it's our overactive muscles and our underactive muscles associated with that arms fall forward. The next assessments that we may do are our pushing and pulling, and that may include the push-up. And one of the common, the second most common, or one of the um, key problems of the shoulder is this scapular elevation. Again, that's gonna quite simply be related to an overactive upper trap and an underactive lower trap. We're gonna wanna lengthen and inhibit the upper trap and we're gonna to wanna to strengthen the lower trap once again. And then lastly, when the scapula pops off of our back, we call that scapular winging. And this is gonna be most commonly caused by an underactive serratus anterior. We're gonna strengthen that muscle primarily with these scapular push-ups or protraction exercises uh, that will help to activate the serratus anterior. But then along with that, we wanna teach the person how to pack their shoulder into an ideal posture so we may just do that in standing and have them hold that static posture, or we may actually do it in a hanging posture where we work on their ability to do that against a bit more load. So our common movement impairments, our common assessments, and then once again, we've got to help our clients out with a focused corrective exercise plan that helps them address these key faults. So these corrective exercise plans, when are we going to do them? Well, certainly it can be part of our warm-up, especially if we're doing inhibitory or lengthening techniques. And then uh, we can also build them into a warm-up if we're going to do some activation exercises. So they just, this just may be an active warm-up that progresses them into the workout. The other idea that I use a lot is I'll circuit the corrective exercise uh, supplemental exercises with our primary exercises. So we may actually be doing uh, like a high row with a focus on the scapula uh, and, and then we might pair that up with another movement maybe a different press or maybe a different row uh, that's going to be more movement-based and less corrective or supplemental. Uh, so those can be actually brought into circuits as well, either as a warm-up, we call it prehab in some cases, but it's our warm-up, or we can put it as a part of our circuit. But the key thing is we've got to help our clients address some of these common problems 
so they don't end up with prolonged issues of their upper extremity. And then just to come full circle on today's talk is we've got to focus on our client's static posture. The amount of time that somebody is in this upper cross syndrome, forward head, forward shoulders, either seated for long periods at their laptop. I mean, especially now with all of the Zoom and all of the laptop work that we're doing at the desk, we can't expect somebody to be in that bad posture for eight to 10 hours a day and then come work with us for one hour or two hours and end up in a great posture. So the more cues that we can give them for that ideal static posture, the better off we're gonna be uh, in our work. So, hey, it's just been a, a total pleasure uh, having the opportunity to work with you today in this virtual Optima 2020 conference. Uh, I just wanna you know, share with you my email address. It's esorensen at apu.edu. I work at Azusa Pacific University right now. Uh, I'm the department chair of kinesiology and an associate professor in the department. And I just love talking about this stuff. Uh, movement assessment, corrective exercise, kinesiology is an area of passion for mine. And one that spans the full spectrum of, again, strength and conditioning and fitness all the way to injury prevention and management. And so don't hesitate to reach out to me uh, and, and you can contact me best by email. And I would love to interact around this content. We can even set up a call or we can interact if you have questions or follow up questions about my session today. But anyways, I hope that this content today really helps you address those common movement impairments of the upper extremity as you work with your clients. And I hope you have a lot of success in your future. Take care.